You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks. We've made it. End of the season. Mountain West Championship game, podcast preview, plus Army, um, Air Force Weekend, other stuff. Right, Matt? We, mm-hmm. It's also, uh, just FYI, recording time because, dude, you never know. Thursday morning, 10.22 Pacific AM. Games are all still <laughs> proceeded to go forward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm hoping I don't have to keep my fingers crossed, but I'm going to do it right now, even though nobody can see it, just in case. Exactly. Our website here, mwr.com. Also, it's a little bit of news. You chatted with our buddy Jeremy Harper, who covers what the Sunbelt, Arkansas State, does some mm-hmm. stuff at College Football News about the Blake Anderson hire. So go listen and download to that. I heard it as a pretty good episode. No, not pretty good. That's really good. We got some good info on there. Thank you. So, no, congrats. I had to belt last second. I know it's really crappy. And so you did a great job taking over. Uh, but yeah, go give the listen and see what you like. And Aggie fans, go, um, go get excited for your new coach. Did they make, really quick, is that. OC higher official look like they're going um, somebody from UCF. Is that do you know if that's the case or by just Anthony uh, Tucker? That was yeah. the uh, the first thing I saw announced, and that was according to Football Scoop uh, several days ago. Now I think at this point, yeah. So go check that out and go here. So let me ask you a quick question, so people know. So you get a teaser. What was the uh, biggest um, like surprise or takeaway from what uh, Jeremy was mentioning to you about uh, Coach Anderson? Well, what I think the big takeaway to me was that. You know, during his time in Jonesboro, it seemed like the offense had a way of taking care of itself. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Anderson's background personally was on the offensive side of the ball before he became a head coach. So, you know, the one big takeaway from, you know, what he can do to help Utah State get back to where they were a couple of years ago is to find someone who can be that caretaker on the defensive side of the ball. And obviously, as of right now, we don't know a lot of the coaching hires. You know, we mentioned Anthony Tucker a second ago. We know Chucky Keaton's going to be a part of the offensive staff, but it's going to yeah. be the defense that's going to make or break how that tenure, I think, ultimately unfolds. Do you think anybody will stick around on defense? I don't think Frank Mayo is going to stay around anymore after uh, what's going on there. Probably not. So I want to bring this too. So that's a good reason to go listen to it. Um, it's a little bit different for the Aggies, but um, we'll see how it goes there. But I want to bring it up. The, did you see the? 
alleged combined quote, not a quote comment about what she said? No. So I think we put our DMs. Okay, I was just you're being honest. That's fine. So they said two people who listened to the call characterized as this, and then a TV station, KUTV, put as a quote, which I'm like, first off, that's not a quote. But basically what it said, and it's not a good look, but I don't know if it's as bad maybe for me as what people make out to me. I thought it would be way worse. Basically talking about how, who to hire, who to, who to bring in is like saying, well, we tried an LDS coach before and that didn't work. Do you think that's yeah. it's not good, but it's also not as bad as I thought it could have been? Am I, am I right on I that? Mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on how you frame it, because I think if especially if you're uh, an individual from that background, I can definitely see where you would find something like that to be uncalled for. I think, you know, what the idea is, is that, you know, when you're looking for a head coaching candidate, you want to try and find someone who fits you know, a, a variety of, of, of roles or, or, or wears a particular kind of hat in a certain way or something like that. And so I think I would imagine that her intent was to say that, you know, that the kind of personal background perhaps doesn't outweigh the, the X's and O's aspect of the game or, you know, the, the personability of a coach or something like that. And so I think with, more added context and obviously we don't have the exact words we only have what was corroborated by people who were in the digital room Mm -hmm. i would imagine that you know with more time to consider her words that it it may not have been as as awkward as it ultimately came out to be yeah it's like it i don't know what they're looking for because we mentioned before she's been there for 30 years right so Mm -hmm. she's familiar with uh the school, the religion, the state. And so I, it's, it's still not a good look, but it, I don't know. I, is it okay to say I'm sort of relieved that's what came out not something blatantly either racist or going against the religion so badly? I like, I'm sort of relieved that that's the worst that came out of it. That's, uh, it's not, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it, you're right. It's depends how you look at it, but for what your initial thoughts, when you typically hear, going up against somebody's religion or racial background, you usually kind of think the worst, right? Mm-hmm. And this, not good, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know what's good. They're doing some investigation. I don't know what's going to come of it with her and her job. She's been there for a while, but uh, if there's more direct quotes. But safe to say, like I said, Frank Mayley's not going to stick around. I don't know how many guys are going to stay around, maybe. Because it's not like Matt, their defense was amazing. Like, they had a, they have a couple guys to build up off, build off on, but it's not what they're doing with the, uh, and Gary the first time, or even Matt Wells in his first couple of years. Mm-hmm. So that's only something at Utah State. So we'll kind of keep your prize. We got hey Matt, we got a full off season talking about stuff. So we need to kind of keep stuff in the back pocket, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to one more topic. We need to congrat- congratulate San Jose State, Matt. They are ranked in the college football playoff, which uh, is a feat upon its own because it's a Herculean effort to get respect, right? <laughs> Number twenty four overall. Number twenty four overall, first time ever they've been ranked. They are, am I correct, the only second Mountain West team to ever been ranked? Or third? I believe Utah State would have been ranked at some point. Uh, Fresno State was there uh, for a week or two, I think in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I was trying to think of it. That makes sense. I think at this point it's th- it's either three or four. It would be Boise for sure, mm-hmm. San Jose State, and then I think Utah State and, and Fresno State. No, San I, think Diego, four. I don't think San Diego State. I'm not sure. 
I don't think so. Or Air Force. Air Force got rigged or late last year, but it was after the polls were out, so I don't think yeah. they were in there. So, but with that, let's. <coughs> we already know. I'm, Matt and I discussed this before, and I told him I'd keep it quick. All right, Matt. I promise. I'll, I, do I need to set a timer for what I'm going to talk about here? To, to go quickly, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep track. In my head. So basically, first off, um, it's not a playoff. It's invitational, and we were kidding ourselves. Anybody like Cincinnati getting there. There could be wild stuff that's not going to happen. They moved down two spots after not playing two weeks, despite Ohio State not playing for weeks and still being four. So there's that. Also, Matt, can we um, – can Craig Thompson – can we get a clone of Mike Resco, even though we don't really like him? We actually make some good points about st- staying up for his league. That's kind of a thing that needs to be done as well, which, again, we don't need to beat a dead horse. We know that's not the best thing in the Mountain Western promotion-wise. But the biggest thing about it is clearly – did you see – Florida, right, Matt? They're not very good. <laughs> they lost the game to LSU, who threw a shoe and blew mm-hmm. their chances. So there's a couple of things that like they dropped down like once they dropped down one spot. Cincinnati and by losing to like a massive underdog. But go read what is it? Forgotten Five Twitter, right? Is that correct? Who put that big thing yeah. together? Nick Nick Lewis. I'm pretty sure it was Nick because uh, it's Nick or Alex. But for what it said, I'm, I'm leaning toward it would be Nick. I'm assuming I didn't see his name put on there, but he's one of the guys who tweets. Go read that. It goes through kind of how the inequity, how it's not fair, which we all know. And, like, you're not going to get respect. Like, if it's not happening this year where teams are getting the benefit of the doubt, it's never going to happen, which we knew. Like, BYU's not very close. Was it wasn't going to get close. They got kind of lowered ranked. Coastal's finally moving up. But the big thing I have is, like, it just matters what league you're in. Because Iowa State, who lost big time to Louisiana, their top 20 wins are considered better than Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And so, and they also freaking Kansas State. Come on. And you tell me Cincinnati can't be ahead of them. Like, I don't, like, we make fun of Poke the American just because we think the Mountain West is, uh, should be more on par. They're not quite there, but it's very close, especially at the top. But it's, uh, like, oh, come on, we want to support a little, but keep our distance as well, Matt. You know what I mean? When shots can be yeah. fired, we take them. Maybe the little, uh, trink in the, in the thigh, not like a headshot or something. But it's just a mess. And so here's my feeling to move on. Like, it's never going to happen because when you have everybody from the Power Five except for three, I think Wyoming's AD's on there as well this year. They clearly don't watch everything closely enough, which is hard and possible despite the change they're doing. They don't give great any answers like Nick Auerbach or Chris Vinini or Nicole Auerbach, sorry, mentioned uh, like, hey, answer these questions about this. They don't give an answer about what makes Coastal or Louisiana or, or Iowa State or Cincy different. They'd make great politicians. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And also, there's a huge conflict of interest, which we already knew in the first place. But my final thought here, to make it like more equitable, to make college football more fun, we know if you get to be a good group of five team, like UCF really should have taken that Florida State deal they had, or Florida deal, whatever it was a couple years ago or last year, to play two for one. Just take it. It sucks. I, I get it. But when you get that good, like Boise can get a couple games. San Diego State can sort of get a game here against like a not a great UCLA team home and home, but if once you rise up and get good, like I don't see Cincinnati getting Ohio State home and home or playing them regularly or even a two for one. It's really hard to be upper level group of five, especially like just look at Boy State. They're consistently good, so they're sort of gotten past that, but not really. Like they have Michigan State, Florida State should have came this year, stuff like that. But if you're up there being good, you'll never get the chance to play the team. It's always like, well, who'd you play? And they don't use advanced numbers like Bill Connolly always says. Like, hey, use my numbers, especially this year. It's, there's no crossover to compare. It's like, well, you played the Big 12, you must be good. I mean, if the whole idea is who who have you beaten, then you know every, pretty much everything the committee says week in and week out doesn't make a lot of sense. Because one thing I remember they mentioned in particular with regards to Coastal Carolina 
was that they struggled against a five and six Troy team, mm. right? And Florida lost the game. Was, Florida lost the game. Was, Come on. <laughs> so, well, yeah. the idea, idea is like it's not about struggling. It's about who did you beat? Did they beat Troy? Which you know they're five and seven. They're you know a slightly below average team nationally. Maybe not the, the greatest thing in the world, but you know who else slightly below nationally? LSU. They're more than slightly below average nationally. And, you know, and, and you could say the same thing about Indiana, where, mm-hmm. you know, Indiana struggled, quote unquote, against Penn State. They struggled, quote unquote, against Wisconsin. And even though they had to do it with the backup quarterback in the latter case, you know, you can't ignore those things. If you're going to point them out for one team, you kind of have to look at it for everybody. But it, again, it's kind of beside the point. And, you know, one thing that really caught my eye that Oresco talked about when he was on the Paul Feinbaum show, I think, yesterday. Bringing the BCS back, right? Bringing the BCS back. And so there's a there's a Twitter account out there that still keeps track of this is what the top 25 would look like if the BCS were still intact today. It is. It's just for we're wondering. BCS know-how. Yeah. Every single group of five team ranked in the top 25 right now would have moved up either two or three spots if the BCS were still a thing. Yeah. Coastal would have moved up two spots. Cincinnati would have moved up three. BYU, Tulsa. Louisiana, Tulsa, San Jose State all would have moved up three spots. There's it's a perception problem. Like they're just not being consistent with their logic. They're yeah. you know being mealy, they're being mealy mouthed in their kind of justifications as to why the group of five in particular isn't being more highly regarded. And especially in a weird year like this, you know, Coastal's eleven and zero. We've literally never seen a group of five team, and this includes UCF, that has been in this position where you know they're eleven and zero, and they're behind an Ohio State team that's like five and zero. Which, which great, yeah, Ohio State's been really good, but they've only played five games and they're still ranked fourth in the country somehow. So there's just a lot of things that the that the committee can't properly account for that makes the whole thing look fraudulent. It does, and like even the first one, like BYU Cincinnati, the disparity between there when they're record thing the schedule was nearly identical like a six spot seven spot difference it's no i mean i, I would have said that that was probably fine well <laughs> no but like when you look at the strength of schedule how they beat teams i would agree since was higher but by seven spots no not the initial one i don't think that far but i just like looking at who they played who they beat how they're doing it i would put since maybe two spots ahead of three but not like seven but like overall, you're right. It's like it's like Coastal's doing this. They're winning. They're winning. They're doing everything they can do. I here's my scenario: what should be done, and who knows if it'll ever happen. Like, should we act? I don't ever happen, but should the NCAA first take over the college with the playoff to actually make it a playoff and not invitational? I mean, I don't see that happening anytime soon. What I think is more interesting, at least as it pertains to this year in particular, and I forget who put it out there. But somebody mentioned that Cincinnati and Coastal would be well within their rights to just cancel any bowl game invitations, schedule a game against each other, and the winner claims a national championship. Ooh. How does Spartans get in that mix? Because they're top 10 Kali Matrix. That's true. <laughs> um, but I think to that point, Cincinnati and Coastal are 2-3 and three in the Kali Matrix, which I think is why they were saying yeah. they should just do that instead, instead of playing a bowl game. Yeah, I yeah, just play each other. You can play a game. I think the technical rule, which who cares about rules, is that if your bowl game gets canceled, you can play another one. But whatever. No, it's just it's just a mess. Like they're not watching enough teams. They they don't use advanced numbers. They seem to watch the game. But like honestly, Matt, we watch a ton of football over the weekend. Like how often do we 
your memory might be better than mine or whatever, who this person better than that. But he watched a ton of football. Like I saw a good article on Awful Announcing the other day about how the Red Zone channel kind of ruins football for them, makes him a dumber fan. Because mm-hmm. all you're watching is the highlights and big plays. You don't have context of what happened. So, yeah. like, we watch a lot of games. I'll sometimes will just do time constraints. I'll watch on mutes while my family's doing something else. Or I'll fast forward through stuff or watch it quicker. Or even if mm-hmm. I watch full games, like, there's stuff we miss just because of how much watching. Like, are they, how much, like, literally, they have all full-time jobs. Like, most of them are ADs, I believe. Like, how much? It might as well just, it might as well just be the coach's poll. Yeah. As much football as I think That's they actually I mean, like, sit down and watch. I don't deny they're watching a lot of football, but if you're watching like the NFL game pass thing where it's like or the if you have somebody take it the cut down game where it's like sixty minutes, like you miss a lot of the important stuff if you're watching that quickly. And so like they do watch a lot of football. I'm not denying that, but like to watch as much and with context and hearing what's being said, like a game's three and a half hours. Even if you cut out halftime and skip commercials, you're still sitting at what, two hours? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like and they're supposed to watch almost every game, or at least they ch- they break it down after a few. Uh, you know what I mean? After a few weeks to see who's really yeah. like to watch the Power Five. Oh, what what group of five teams are good? Stuff like that. But like, do they watch Marshall and Rice or Marshall's undefeated? I'm guessing no. They said the final score. They got shut out. Like, okay, Marshall's done. You know what I mean? <laughs> to, to anybody who who's on the committee who might be listening to this podcast, I will I will watch games for you for forty five grand a year. There you go. Definitely. I will tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> exactly. It's just it just doesn't work, and there's six years left in the deal. And what I like here's here's my final thought. I know my timer's probably busted. If you kept track, Matt, we probably both didn't. But here's my final thought to make it better. Like the it's not like a, it's not a playoff. If you have to take away most of the bias, because there's always gonna be bias picking teams. Like do a league like. If you want, do a 10-team playoff, or more than that, but like, have every conference champion be in there. That should be a no-brainer. I don't want just Power 5 champs. I want every conference champ. Maybe if you can cut the season down by one game for everybody, maybe that'll work, or you start a week earlier to build in the bye week. Season may go a touch longer, because if you're kidding me, these guys train and go all year round. Like, for example, if you're in the swim team, NCAA, I know the sport's not as physical. It's tough and long and grueling. I've done it. Um, I did two sports, so I didn't do swimming the whole year. So I did water polo, is also training. But they start literally from August till March. Mm-hmm. That's a freaking long sport to pr- participate and practice and train and do competition in, right? Like, that is very long. That's, I think, the longest sport from when you could start to when it ends for NCAAs. You're telling me, I know football is more physical and grueling, but they guys do this to follow you around. So maybe cut off a game if you want to. These more playoff games would add more revenue for everybody. But if you take every conference champion, 10, and I like six at large, that's fine. Have a home game for the first round. Screw the bowl games. I don't care about them. You can give me all you want about the Rose Bowl or Cotton Bowl. I don't give a crap. First responders bowls, go to the toilet. I don't care. Bust up in flames. Cotton, whatever, any bowl game. But my point being, it makes it makes it more fair, 10 teams, six at large. So if you're not in a conference like BYU, Notre Dame, Liberty's having a good year, UMass if they get lightning struck in the bottle and somehow go well. Maybe they can get in. Maybe they'll force them to join a league. But that will allow every team deserving to get in. Six at-large teams basically means, and you correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, Matt, probably maybe one extra really good G5 team every year, which typically, that might be the case, maybe every now and then. Like, this year would be a good year. Well, whatever. Maybe be only they're close. But it would allow every conference champ and probably every, um, maybe Notre Dame every year when they're usually good, and a backup or number two G5 runner-up. Or maybe P5 runner-up. You're telling me those aren't good teams? There's no crappy teams uh, in there, really. 
Like I've always thought. I mean, I've, I'll just say again. I've always thought twelve is the magic number because it's about one one tenth of the FBS level. Yeah. You know, you can either go you know ten conference championships, two quote unquote wild cards. You can go, you know, five power five conference champions plus like one or two group of fives. And I mean, you could split it however you want. You can reward the teams at the top with buys in that regard. I think what it does is add one more game relative to an eight game playoff. But yeah. that's just kind of how I've always envisioned it. I mean, in the meantime, now watch just like either Notre Dame beat Clemson or vice versa. And mm. they both end up in the oh, playoff anyway. Gag. I know. Just, so, just wait. Just wait. That's going to happen. Yeah. It's like my main point. I'll wrap up here. Seriously, wrap up here. If you allow conference champions, whether I, again, my preference, you have your preference. Like if you take 10, every conference champion two at large, that would make that large amazingly competitive and possibly even awesome. But point being, if you allow conference champions, you allow for a more, not just a more open playoff, and an actual playoff, because you can earn your way in. We discussed pre-show, Matt, that people thought, oh, the 14 playoff, there's more room, people will play more non-conference games. But we've seen a touch of that. But if you, if, if the end-all, be-all is winning your conference, and that's your golden ticket to get in, you will start seeing, maybe not home-and-homes or more equitable G5, P5 gauge. You might see more 2 4 or neutral stuff, but... You're telling me, Matt, we won't see better football because Ohio State, sure, we'll play Boise State once. Sure, we'll play UCF. Sure, we'll play Cincinnati like they do occasionally. Or Oregon, well, Oregon travels a bit to play. But USC would play a team or Auburn would come out west to play some random team because of recruiting reasons. They'll go out and play San Jose State because they want to try to get some guys in that area. Maybe like, you know I mean, something like that. You would see more of those games because if you lose a non-conference game, it doesn't really matter all that much if you're propelled or proposed to win your conference. Yeah. And that's what I think the end thing would be. That would be great value for top more top end P5 games because who doesn't want to see like uh, Oregon, Ohio State are supposed to play this year. That could, Well, Oregon's not great, but preseason, that would have been an awesome game. Like you would see more of these games, maybe Washington playing Florida, maybe Oklahoma playing like a good Indiana team this year, playing Clemson. Like who doesn't want to see more football and also give them the chance of like, Maybe Coastal could play somebody decent. You know what I mean? Like a good team or Houston or UCF or any team. That's, I think, really needs to be done because won't it make the whole college football season better for the sport and people watching? Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my final thought. That's why I think if you have conference champions in, the playoff ranking sucks. There's a million things out there. Go read Forgotten Five Speed. I may may or may not do a little quick post on this tomorrow or maybe offseason and cut out to fix it because if you have cha- league champions – there's no griping, right? That's what it comes yeah. down to. Like, like you mentioned, oh, Cle- like Dabo Swimmy, Swimmy, seriously, last thought here. Hey, if we have two lost teams, we're still in the playoff. I'm like, why? Who you've beaten nobody if you haven't beaten Notre Dame, right? Like, look at ACC. Did they even play North Carolina, Matt? UNC. I believe so. Like they're a decent team, but also, like you don't deserve being like Texas A&M. The only reason they're considered, they beat Florida, which is a pretty solid win. But if you take away their Alabama loss, everybody they played outside of Alabama and Florida have a losing record. Mm-hmm. And they lost to one of those teams. So, there you go. It must be nice to be a Power 5 team. Yes, it must be nice to be uh, Georgia Tech. To, <laughs> to get all that money. Syracuse. Duke. But also, Texas, Florida. You lose, you lose on a stupid penalty... You only drop one spot to a team that has a losing record and give it up yeah. a, a bazillion yards of defense. Very hard to defend that one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's move on to the games. 22-minute intro, random stuff. That's our rant. I We're done talking about unless we want to do some fun off-season stuff just to uh, do whatever. So, Army Air Force Week, right? Yes, it is. Commander in Chief's trophy on the line. Before we get to this, do you mind retelling your joke about the schedule game next year? Because I loved it. <laughs> yeah, so for those who, who didn't see the headline, um, Air Force and Army are going to be playing their game next year at Globe Life Field in uh, Arlington. Home of the Rangers, correct? Yeah, and and if you're not a baseball fan, one one thing you may have missed on on baseball Twitter throughout the summer is the fact that Globe Life Field kind of looks like a shed. It it just kind of looks like. <laughs> so a, does the old stadium. I've been right by it. The one that's it, been it, fairly new. It looks like a like a tractor. What is it? Tractor supply company or something yeah. like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Exactly. Like you you've seen those. It has kind of like that, that exciting looking <laughs> kind of weird facade on the front and things like that. So that's 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 where that joke came from. So I said uh, on the MWC Wire Twitter account, I was like, finally the Falcons can take the Black Knights behind a literal shed. <laughs> that was a good one. So that's next year. Um, this year, this game is rescheduled. To do you think Jeff Monkin is like cheering like that? Like, what do you think his reaction was when the game got rescheduled? Because he probably, probably like ground, ground his teeth underneath a, underneath a forced <laughs> smile or something. That that would be my guess. Because he was the guy's like, we're not playing. We're doing this. You guys are ducking us. Well, guess what? You're not. It's a three p.m. Eastern kick at West Point. This comes after Army. Um, they, they, them and Navy played actually at West Point for the first time in like since World War II, essentially, mm-hmm. where they won fifteen to zero over Navy, who Air Force beat. I'm looking for the score here. Was it like it was forty to seven? I was gonna say something like forty something to seven. I, I might, Navy's not very good this year. No, so I we both were very surprised about. Oh, also real quick, games on CBS Sports Network, so afternoon game. So I it was on CBS. No, that was the original one. Did that get relocated? It did. So it's up one Mountain, three Eastern. So it's going to, I think, overlap with the. It will overlap with the Mountain Most title game. So gotcha. Okay. Also, it was a pickup for Air Force and Army. I'm like, what are you doing, guys? Come on. Well, now um, Army's a two and a half point favorite. I have three here, but no Army. I have Air Force minus three right here. Or, or excuse me, Air Force. Yeah, I'm seeing Air Force minus two and a half. Sorry. This over under is ridiculous. Do you see what I'm looking at, Matt? I'm seeing 39 and a half. I got 37 here. What's the deal? Like, what are they basing that off of? Is Army's defense good, they're thinking? or Actually, it is pretty good. Ah. If there's one thing you can look at at the Black Knights, and, and, I'm, and I went and looked at this by you know both traditional metrics and by some of the advanced measures mm-hmm. that I rely upon. So like by SP+, Plus, for instance. Right now, Army is 66th in terms of like total SP+. Plus. But the split between offense and defense is 90th and 41st, so almost respectively. An, almost an Aztec-type team, right? <laughs> Not quite. But, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, they've been okay. Maybe they're they're a touch overrated by the record. You know, they're 8-2 and two overall. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that they beat up on three different FCS teams this year. Mm-hmm. Abilene, Christian, Citadel, and Mercer. So you really have to start by looking at how they actually did against teams that are a little closer 
to you know where they're at on both sides of the ball. And so yeah, they're they're a top fifty defense by by SP plus. But when you look at how things have actually unfolded roughly over the last month or so, you start to see avenues by which Air Force should be able to take advantage of them. And I think case in point, I look at rushing defense in particular, because one of the things that Army can boast is they have a lot of guys who have proven to be disruptive. You know, and, and granted, you know, some, some of this has to do with the disparity in games played. But right now, Air Force, you know, George Sylvanic leads the team with four tackles for loss, right? Hmm. Army's played like what ten games? They've got six guys with at least six tackles for loss apiece. It's pretty good. So it's it's pretty good. And and as a defense overall, you know, you're looking at a unit that's third as far as line yards per carry allowed. They're sixth in opportunity rate. They're nineteenth in power success rate, and and seventh by stuff rate. So basically, they're not letting opponents get to the second level with their running game. They're not. They're doing really well in short yardage situations. They're being disruptive. But again, you know, how much of that has to do with the level of opponent? And I think when I look at when I look at their last three games against, you know, good average or better opponents. And and this does not include Navy because Navy is not good this year. (laughs) So I'm looking at UTSA, Tulane and Georgia Southern. All three of those teams averaged at least five yards per carry on the ground. To me, that is very telling, especially, you know, when you look at, at Tulane and Georgia Southern in particular, those are two teams that even though they don't necessarily boast the same style of offense the Air Force does, they both gen- tend to rely more on the run than on the pass. And Army's proved that you can soften them up if you stick with it and and, and really just attack them in a, in a straightforward fashion. So if I'm Air Force, you know, I, I look at these numbers and I'm like, Okay, we'll try and stop this. And they, so I would not okay, be surprised. is back. They have all these guys. They're getting more healthy. So that's another thing to look into for attacking that unit. I'm just saying, you know, I'm I'm looking at Brad Roberts in particular, right? And I'm thinking, okay, we'll try and stop this 20, 25 times. And I feel yeah. like Air Force, if they run like a very no frills kind of fullback dive quarterback reliant running game. You know, they've been able to get by against the defenses, you know, with you know production from the tailbacks coming and going throughout the year. You know, Roberts has been really a, a standout. His backup, Matthew Merla, has had some moments as well. So it would not surprise me in the least if if Army ended up getting beat up in that same way again. They just they hit them right up. Between, they, they don't do anything fancy. They just start hitting them in the mouth and daring Army to stop them. Yeah, we'll see if they if they can. Like you mentioned, they Air Force is back to the fullback diver Roberts, who is a one of the big surprises. Was he a second team All Conference for them by the media? Uh, you know what? I don't think he was. Oh, what? Oh no, no, the, you're the right. Second team was second team was Greg Bell and Totala. That's right. Yeah, so he was honorable mention. And I think it's especially telling too, because you know when you look at those six guys the Army has who have been very disruptive, just one of them is a defensive lineman. Nolan Cockrell, six tackles for loss. Interesting. So it's it's the linebackers who have been very active and in, in, in getting into the backfield and making those kinds of plays. But again, you know, John Radigan, Eric Smith, and uh, Amadeo West have combined for what is it, eight, 24 tackles for loss as a trio. But you know, just taking Radigan for example, in those same three games, UTSA, Tulane, Georgia Southern, he only had three tackles for loss in those games. And so I think 
you know, if, if Air Force can force the issue, this is probably the best offensive line that they've that the Army, Army has faced all year long. I just throw out all those same numbers for, for Army's defense. You know, you look at Air Force's offense, and even though, yeah, small sample caveats, you know, they're still second by line yards per carry, fourth in opportunity rate on offense, top 25 by power success rate, and second in stuff rate. So you you can look at it as a strength-on-strength strength kind of matchup, but mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm a Falcons fan and I'm putting everything into context, I like my odds even if Air Army wants to you know, get up there and force the issue and be disruptive and attack from different angles in their front six. Yeah, it's like you're getting back there, but one thing I mentioned before is you're going through your stuff. Like, they're more healthy too, Air Force. Like, yes. They got the dive with um, Roberts there, but Kems, Ray, not, I was going to say <laughs> rating Kemsberg. No, Kate Remsberg. I don't know where that came from. Like, he's back healthy. They have all these guys back there. They have multiple backs that can just attack. And here's the thing too, like, attack, attack, attack. Like, I don't. I we know Zeke Daniels is not the um, prolific thrower, but that play actually will come into play because if that has success, even though Army will want to stick with their plan, they know they're going up against triple option or run option attack. As they say every time you play these teams, you're playing your one area no matter what. Your DB, cornerback, linebacker. You're always mostly almost ninety nine percent focused on your one guy. But the one time something goes wrong, they'll get the play action. They'll have something downfield because if they lull them to death and it works well, like you suspect, Matt, as do I, they'll have to adjust a little bit. Maybe bring an extra guy here. They'll bring a safety up or something just in case they'll get past that second level. I could see Zeke Daniels and the coaching staff like, well, let's do a play action here because we're doing well, but let's mix it up and get a really big play. And so, and to, and to that point, that's another thing that I, I would say may have gotten exposed in those same three games that I, that I mentioned mm-hmm. a minute ago. Of course. Like, you know, the, the Black Knights held UTSA to under 50% passing, but, you know, they had two touchdowns in that game. Um, Tulane and Georgia Southern didn't necessarily rely a lot on the pass, but both of those teams completed essentially 70% of their passes, and those two combined for four touchdowns against just one interception. So... I think you're definitely right that, you know, if they want to soften him up and then try to hit him over the top, we haven't seen that much of it from Air Force this year, but that doesn't mean they can't do it. They did it a little more last week or a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I think that's definitely within the realm of possibility. So, you know, guys like Ben Peterson, Brandon Lewis, who they haven't necessarily had to perform at the same level as like a Gerard Sanders last year, but they definitely could if Army isn't ready for it. Yeah, they're giving up 60% on the year, and that includes the 1-for-7 Navy game last week where 9 yards, which Air Force could throw better than Navy. But like when you look at like Albion Christians, the FCS team, 64%. Citadel, they run more than not, so it's only 44 mm-hmm. And then Mercer was like two-thirds of a pass. Like Tulane, 70% they lost. They did decently against Cincinnati, only 55% and a pick early on. And that was a pretty competitive game, 24-10. to 10. I think it's one of the closer games Cincinnati's had all year. When they only, I think that's their, I was looking up now, I think that's their lowest point total all year. It is. And so that's still a little bit, that, that's still, that's nothing to not ignore. But when you look at the big picture, I think that's more of a closer to a one off. Because if I recall, there may have been some special team stuff in that game. I'm not sure. But like that was, that's a game to look at where, okay, they played one of the best teams in the country within two touchdowns. Their pass defense did okay. But then again, it could have been, oh, we're ready to play Cincinnati. And then Albion Christian does this three touchdown passes against them. They can play Mercer. This happens. They play Georgia Southern, who I think Georgia Southern Southern might be the best um, equivalency here to Air Force, where I can see Hazik Daniels go nine to thirteen. 
he, this is a stat line for that game. 9 of 13, 135, two TDs and a pick. Like, mm-hmm. I could see him being in that range as maybe a high yeah. end. And that's what they kind of want to do. And that was a 28-27 game for that was in favor of Army. But I think that's kind of what, if Air Force is going to throw, I think that's not that they need to, but I think that's what they can do. And they probably should expose that a little bit because there's plenty of room. Even if he goes 6 of 10 for 120, that's still pretty good in a touchdown. That's 20 yards of pass attempt or completion. Yeah, and and to that point, you know, the other thing to keep in mind too is that Army's offense has really fallen off a cliff over the last month too. Yeah, if you just go and look at what they've done on a play-by-play basis, they've gone backwards in each of their four games, uh, basically since actually the last five games, going back to the UTS game, UTSA, excuse me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was five point six eight, and then five point four five against Mercer, four point three against Tulane, three point six against Georgia Southern, and only three against Navy. Hmm. Who again, the middies are not very good this year. No. And some of that some of that has to do with injuries. Like they've had a really, you know, big quarterback shuffle over the last I guess basically all season long. They're starting a sophomore, Tahir Tyler, at this point. He's, you know, been their starting quarterback, I think, the last two games. But they're they're, they're not that good <laughs> at running the ball. You know, t- Tyler's averaging 4.4 yards per carry. Buchanan's at 4.3. Anderson, Christian Anderson, uh, their backup is at 4.9. I mean, they've got some guys who are doing real well, and obviously it's definitely more of a committee, but the guys who have seen the most action, like just case in point, Sandon McCoy, who I believe is their starting fullback. You know, seventy. he's got, uh, what, 73 carries. He has 10 touchdowns, but he's only averaging 3.2 yards per carry. So... You know, this is an opportunity for an Air Force defense where even after four or five games, I'm still not totally sure how good they are because by a lot of those advanced metrics I brought up earlier, they've still got plenty of work to do as far as defending the run. They've been a little better about rushing the passer, but that might not matter as much against an Army team that's probably going to avoid doing that as often as possible. So the, guys try, though, front, so the guys in the front seven are definitely going to have, you know, their work cut out for them. Sylvanic's going to need some help from, you know, guys like Grant Donaldson, from Will Trollick, from Michael Purcell to just be more disruptive than they've generally been on a week-by-week basis. But again, this Army offense shouldn't scare anybody either just because, you know, what they do best has been really kind of modest on the season you know if you look in terms of like total offense for instance and you just you and you look at the split between how they've done against fcs teams versus fbs teams on a per play basis they're averaging 4.78 yards per carry if you want to put that into context of how mountain west teams have done this year that's slightly better than what colorado state and unlv have done this year last i checked rebels have not won a game and the rams are struggling yes (laughs) uh real quick i want to go back to tahir tyler real quick his past two games, he ran the ball 35 times versus Georgia Southern, mm-hmm. 26 versus Navy, and barely cracked three. Not barely, those two combined like three and a half yards of carry. The reason his average is so high because he had a nice 77-10 carry game against Mercer, you know, FCS Mercer. So I think like the three points, take it and don't look back, man, right? Like take it mm-hmm. with a Josh – me and you, meet Matt, me and you, can we combine a large uh, wager um, through like BetMGM or send it him to his local bookie and where it's legal? To DM where it's like legal that. in Colorado, as we're saying. Just saying. So, so here, here's the rub, though. <laughs> uh oh. And, and I don't, don't give know, me the rub. Come on. 
I don't know what quite to make of it, but the advanced metrics still kind of favor Army. Why? I don't not, think... not by much. Not by much, though. Still... You know, the SP Plus favors Army by 3.4. That's a 58% win probability. And uh, FEI favors Air Well, actually, the FEI favors Air Force, but it's by, by 0.5. So they basically see them as even. <laughs> FPI says 52% for Army as well. That's weird. So am I to presume that you were probably going to take the Falcons? Duh. What are you doing? Are you taking Army? No, I'm not. Ta- no, I'm just saying. Hey. I, mean, I haven't been convinced by Army all year long. <laughs> hey, you're kind of leaning into it, like, well, maybe I'll – okay, Matt, I need to ask this, tell, ask this to you because you also took Colorado State over Boise State. Yeah. So I'll never be let down. Yeah. <laughs> you're not the only one. <laughs> um, one thing we did look at, though, there's much like a massive snowstorm on the East Coast this weekend. That might have that might affect how the game goes. I'm double checking real quick. I don't think um, I uh, sorry. I'm not sure where West Point is within the state. I just saw East Coast two feet of snow. It looks like it might be just cold, like around thirty ish for the weekend. Um, I'm double checking real quick. But if there's any snow, I'm just trying to think why there'd be. I don't know how much advanced numbers look into weather, just because they don't. Okay. Maybe the odds makers, the line they're for a three, uh, three so point the, line. So the, the forecast, according fine. to weather.gov for West Point on Saturday, is a high of 34, but mostly sunny. Okay, good football day. Just yeah. wondering. I'm, I'm not sure what part of the state they're in. So but so what's uh, what's your prediction for this game? Because um, we both are leading, Fal- leading Falcons, clearly. Yeah, I'm going to take Air Force to win what's probably going to be a defensive battle. I don't see that, but go ahead. I'm going to say 28 to, 28 to 17. So does that, uh, that clears the over because it's at a thirty seven is ridiculously low, Matt. I'm just saying that's beyond low. Um, a bit. I, what did you say? Twenty eight uh, thirteen. Twenty eight to seventeen. Twenty seventeen. I'm going to go twenty eight ten. I think it'll be a clear victory. They'll get a couple of touchdowns and take care of business and get to CIC. They get the Commander in Chief trophy if they win. Mm-hmm. So future congrats to Troy Calhoun and the Air Force Falcon staff and players for. We need yet another Commander Chief reward award, comma colon. Jeremy eats his words when they lose because he says it already ahead <laughs> of time. <laughs> but no, Falcons should win. Um, again, one one o'clock Mountain Time, twelve Pacific, uh, three East Coast. Uh, CBS Sports Network. Time to move on. That next game, the big game. If you waited for all of this, we appreciate you and you're welcome. And we did this on purpose, so don't yell at us in our DMs or <laughs> Twitter for doing this. But Boise State. San Jose State, Mountain West Championship game, 1 p.m. Pacific at Sam Boyd Stadium. Yes, you heard me right. Over the air, Fox. Broncos are currently 6.5 point favorite. Opened up at, I believe, Matt, was Circus Sports 8.5. Yeah. Over under 56. Where do we begin, Matt? What's your um, first thing you want to discuss with this game? What are you getting at here? There's a lot of different things. It's really hard to choose just one thing. And I, I, okay, so I guess if you're going to make me pick, the big question I have about this game is how good is Boise State's offense really? Ooh, fighting words. And and I'm not, I don't mean for them to be fighting words, but you know, you look at some of the the numbers and you look at the the circumstances in which the offense has operated this year, and it's hard to know like just how good they are because. You know, yeah, I think they're number one in the in the conference in terms of scoring offense, 
But a lot of that has to do with contributions that have been made on special teams, you know, by, mm-hmm. you know, Avery Williams and company right there. Right. So you know, they're averaging 36.2 yards per game or points per game, excuse me. But, you know, there's there's at least a little bit of a caveat in that regard. What do they have? Three you know, special team it, scores, right? Three? Something like that. Yeah. Um, but if you look at what they've actually done on a per play basis over the last month, you know, on in over the course of the year, they're averaging what 5.7 yards per play, which is you know fifth overall in the conference, a little a little below what they were last year. But I'm wondering how much of a warning sign it is that in three of the last four games, which is you know in this case BYU, Colorado State, Hawaii, and Wyoming, that the offense has averaged fewer than five yards per play. I'm wondering how much that has to do with the fact that they've really missed George Halani. Yes. Maybe more, maybe more than we all kind of suspected. Because Andrew Van Buren's been fine, just one game though, really. But he's also not the difference maker that Holani can be. And you know, we talked about it very briefly in the recap about you know how he got nicked up again against Wyoming. We were wondering why he was playing at all. You know, we already know that the expectation is that he'll see the field in the championship game against the Spartans. But is he going to be on a snap count? And if he is, what share of the workload is he going to cover? And if it's a relatively small share, then is Van Buren going to be able to pick up as much slack against a a much better defensive front than than, than the Broncos have typically seen more often throughout the year? Yeah. So because I think you know Bachmeyer has been very good, Khalil Shakir, you know probably still one of the best one of the best if not the best wide receiver in the conference. Mm-hmm. But when you look at how the passing game has unfolded. One of the things that really startled me, and I put this out there on Twitter because I still can't believe this. <laughs> you know, they played six games this year. Khalil Shakir has 69 targets. I saw that's a lot. That's more than two and a half times more targets than anybody else on the team. And so, so it's simple. Happened? Just shut him down. That's all for so him, right? And, and, that's, <laughs> and of course, that's easier said than done. I know. You know he, of course, he contribute. He contributes as a as a runner as well. Mm-hmm. Like he'll take fly sweeps, and he's been very effective with those. So for the Spartans, it's really kind of like an all hands on deck effort. Like it's not going to be just one guy. It's not going to be just Kenyon Reed or just Nehemiah Shelton. You know, that's going to be responsible for the for the lion's share of the work. You know, the safeties are going to need to make sure he doesn't you know, get, you know, beat them deep. You know, the linebackers are going to have to make sure they cover north-south as far as, you know, if he gets a fly sweep and to kind of limit that that, that running damage and things like that. Yeah, so extracurricular what stuff. happens if they do shut him down? What happens if Bachmeyer, you know, knocking on wood, what happens if he gets hurt? We don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like because mm-hmm. Jack Sears is listed as the backup, but he hasn't seen the field. He was you know, missing an action last week against Wyoming. I don't think he even dressed, if I'm not mistaken. So there's like there's just enough questions about the Boise State offense in particular that I wonder how they're going to handle what might be the best defense all around that they've seen all year long. You think this is the Spartans' best defense more than uh, BYU's defense is pretty good? I mean, BYU's defense is pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not to say that the Spartans can't be beat. You know, I think one thing I look at that Boise State could potentially take advantage of, not only with Shakir but with with the entire passing offense is the fact that you know, the Spartans have allowed six, a 64% completion rate this year. So I think Bachmeyer will have opportunities to to get completions and move the chains. And it's going to be incumbent on the Spartans to kind of limit that yards after the catch damage. Because one thing you can say is, like, even though the Broncos own 
you know, what looks like on paper a very substantial advantage as far as, you know, completion percentage allowed. Like the Broncos, by contrast, have only allowed a 50% completion rate. Mm-hmm. The difference in yards per attempt isn't really that big. It's it's 6.3 for the Broncos and 6.8 for the Spartans. So San Jose State's done a good job of, of being a real bend-but-don't-break defense in that regard. And so Bachmeyer's going to have his chances. I would say Shakir's probably going to have his chances no matter what the Spartans do. And it may just come down to you know, how well can they contain the other pieces in that offense? You know, guys like C.T. Thomas, is, is John Bates going to dress? Because he hasn't had a catch in, in three weeks. And, and like yeah. Sears, Jeez, he, didn't see any, he didn't see any playing time last week against the Cowboys either. So there's a lot of uncertainty about this game. And so it, it gives the impression that, yeah, they've scored a lot of points. You know, they've been successful as far as moving the chains on third downs and stuff like that. They've been the best team in the conference in, in the red zone. But it still, in some respects, has the effect of being a real high wire act, depending on how you look at it. And and San Jose State's the kind of team that can knock them off of it. I guess I, is what I'm saying. Overall. I still think like my biggest thing like Jack Sears can play quarterback and Higbonk Ware can play quarterback for this offense. Like it's not a hyperbole to hyperbole to say, but it's George Shalani or Bus essentially. Like mm-hmm. when he's not there, like. Van Buren had the 100 game. I think he had one other game. He has 356 yards, eight TDs. It's pretty good. Only doing three and a half yards a carry. So he's not anything explosive like what Van or what Halani can do. He had a big game against Hawaii, who we know the rush defense isn't great, but that's his best game. He had 79 last week versus Wyoming, but three yards a carry. He's getting the touchdowns. <laughs> like he's getting two. He got two yards per carry against CSU. I'm like, yes, they won big, but like they didn't need him very much. But when he ran the ball, he didn't do anything. BYU, mm-hmm. they stuffed them down. And so if Halani's limited in any fashion, they're not going to win. Unless some fluky Avery Williams does some stuff for like special teams. Like if it's a fairly typical football game, weather should be fine in Vegas. There's no worry about anything, precipitation otherwise. But if this game is kind of no quirky plays, which they can happen, like, if you have Halani, I have a hard time picking San Jose State. I have a hard time, or excuse me, picking Boise State. I have a hard time picking Boise State, even if Halani does plays. But if he's limited or not playing, there's zero chance of picking Broncos to win this game. He's not important to this team, as we've seen in other games where when it's not uh, Bachmeyer under center, and they've won. Yeah, and I mean they also haven't faced a, a pass rush quite like this, where you know Kate Hall was just named the Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. In, in the conference, but he's not alone in that regard. And so if you're looking at individual matchups that could, that could do a lot to determine the game, you know, I look at, you know, John Ajuku and Nick Crabtree against Hall and Viliami Pahoko, you know, because if, if Boise state is forced in more passing situations, Bachmeyer has shown that, you know, he's, he and Starkle are basically neck and neck when it comes to like third down passing, for instance, you know, they've both been very effective in just about any situation that you put them in. But if, if Hall and Fahoko can can disrupt that timing, you know, even if they don't necessarily make big plays, even if they don't get sacks, if they hit him, if they force him off his spot, you know, then they, that might, you know, turn the game in a way that Boise State hasn't really contended with all year long. And, and yeah, Colorado State had three sacks against them, and I think they're probably the closest comp to what San Jose State can bring. But, you know, the two tackles and the two defensive ends in particular – are, are going to have a particular spotlight on them that, like I said, could really change the tenor of the game because 
you know, we've seen how Hall can take over a game. We saw it last week late against Nevada. If he does something like that again, you know, how would Boise State respond to that? Or, or what would San Jose State do with that if they force a turnover or something like that? No, you're right on that. It's like, it's, that's something to watch out for because it hasn't been the case all year. And mm-hmm. let's do this really quick. Uh, our staff, over there, really quick, we kind of went through a, not a pros and cons, but like who has the edge or not. And let's just do this really quick because we, we got some more stuff to talk about for the game. But we did what basically you put this together. It was every position and then offensive line group, essentially, a defense line. Every unit, more every, or less, yeah. So quarterback, it went it went uh, Nick Starkle. Is that a surprise at all to you? Not really. And, it, and it's important to keep in mind, like I didn't post like the exact results, but pretty much every single one of these was a very narrow split. So, you know, just because our staff thinks that San Jose State has the edge doesn't mean that it's a necessarily big edge. And you also, I should note that um, you did not allow for a push option. It was either no. or. So that's there. Running back. What's your caveat? This is Boy State with a caveat. Is it the George Solani caveat? It's George Solani, yeah. <laughs> so is it – I think it's Boise regardless, I think. The only reason I say that because outside of the past two games, San Jose, San Jose State's rushing game hasn't been all that great. Like they bring in Nick Starkle here or there, but like Tyler Nevins and Curry Robinson haven't really shown much because I mentioned I think in a recap – the uh, amount of yards Tyler Nevins got, I believe, was like 80%, 70% of a season total in two games. I know they've only played, what, six games, but that's still something to look at for a look who they're going up against. So I think it's closer, but I would still pick Boise even if it's not George Helani, despite me saying they need Helani to win the game. Well, and, and I, I, get, I would agree with you, I think, to a certain extent, because when you look at who they played over the last few weeks – you know, UNLV and Hawaii don't necessarily have great run defenses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that they were able to beat Nevada with a handful of big plays is, you know, it's it's a plus if you're looking at their ability to maybe do it again against Boise. But, you know, this is another situation where it's no secret that the Broncos have been, you know, walking a really fine line here just in terms of, like, injuries and keeping it together. You know, I, I threw it out there in the article. They basically then holding it together with duct tape and young guys at this point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and it's not to say that, you know, they're, they're going to go out there and they're going to get run over in the same way that the Warriors and the Wolfpack did. But they're going to need those guys. It's going to be a group effort, I think, if anything. Like Shane Orwin's the guy who's been, like, the real kind of premier pass rusher for them. But, you know, other guys who maybe we're not totally familiar with their names, like Divine Obituary, for instance, mm-hmm. Scott Matlock, J- Jackson Cravens, who was out for a couple of weeks with, with uh, COVID, or, um, you know, Isaiah Bag- Bagna, who came in for Dimitri Washington. He made his first start last week against Wyoming and had two sacks. You know, so it's those guys who we may not be as familiar with or, or the casual, the average Mountain West fan may not be as familiar with as, as Boise State fans are. Those guys are going to have a lot on their plate, though, because we know that San Jose State likes to get rid of the ball quickly mm-hmm. when it comes to dropping back to pass, and because the running game has been a lot. You know, they've, they've been able to open holes pretty consistently over the last few weeks, so it's not unreasonable to say that they would do so again. And so it's, it's not something where you can point to one, like, one-on-one matchup. Yeah. But... 
you know, it's it's the, you know, the San Jose State offensive line and the Boise State defensive line that could also have a huge difference in how this game unfolds. So we'll come back to receivers. So who, like our staff edge, let me pull it up here. Oh, crap, I deleted the post. I moved it away. Um, do you have it up in front of you? Because I was going to click I on do. it, hit the X. So who, who did we pick as the edge for offensive line? Um, that one went to Boise. Okay. What about defensive line? Uh, defense went to San Jose State. That's going to be close, right? It will, yeah. Even though Boise's down a couple of guys due to season-long injuries from about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. So receiving group, we discussed um, like C.T. Thomas, Khalil Shakir. It says San Jose State, but that's, was this vote really close? Because it seems like it would be. Because, it was. Okay, because for me, San Jose State has um, – it's, cl- it's clear it's Thomas and Shakir for Boise, Gaither and Walker for San Jose State. I believe the latter two of the Spartans have been more consistent, as you mentioned, how many target shares Shakir's gotten. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, to me, you know, you, you talk about the wide receivers and the cornerbacks kind of in tandem because mm-hmm. the other thing that you'll note is that Boise State was considered to have the edge at cornerback. And personally, I'm not so sure. And, and I say that because when you go back and look at last year's game, Bailey Yather and Trey Walker combined for over 300 yards receiving at nearly 18 yards per catch. And so, yeah, Avery Williams <laughs> was an all-conference performer. Jalen Walker was an all-conference performer. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have their work cut out for them again in this game. Like, they're going to have to to limit the yards after catch that, that Gaither and Walker could put forward. And that doesn't even account for, like, the third options, like guys like Isaiah Holiness and Isaiah Hamilton – you know, we know that Kekaula Kaniho has been very stout as far as, you know, kind of balancing his run defensibilities versus like, you know, I think he has a team high five pass breakups. So, you know, that, you know, whoever lines up in the slot could also have a tremendous impact in this game if, if San Jose State wants to go three wide or four wide and really force the issue. Um, so, like, the question I posed was, you know, are Williams and Walker really kind of coasting on on reputation more than actual production this year. Because, mm. again, like I mentioned earlier, Boise State's got a 50% completion rate allowed. But look at who they've actually played. Yeah. Their slate has been a mess. They played Utah State. They played Colorado State. You know, they played you know Hawaii. They played uh, – and when they got picked apart by Zach Wilson. And he's the best quarterback they've seen all year, even more than they will this week with Nick Starkle. Yeah, and Starkle's been pretty good. He hasn't mm-hmm. been immune to like slow starts, but yeah, you know that. when he when he's in a rhythm, he is very hard to stop. And so, you know, you know, people, our our staff thought that you know Williams and Walker might give them the advantage along with Kanihu, who plays nickelback. But honestly, I'm not so sure because San Jose has already proven that they can get the better of those guys. Well, they have like they have like pass breakups. Like the, if you look at passes defended. And mm-hmm. pass breakups and picks, they're up in the top of the conference. I know, I think, um, I'm trying to pull up now, but I believe... Well, K- well, each side has three interceptions apiece. Yeah. Well, I know, yeah, so I'm saying, like, they're both there, but when I look at pass breakups, I know a bunch are from an offense, or not offense, like, Kate Hall, I believe, I think he's like three or four, which is good for him, but that's not really the pass game. But I had it here. Like, yeah, you mentioned Trey Jenkins, two picks, four pass breakups, so, like, pass def- or three and four pass defendants. Like, they have guys as a team overall... They're getting up there, like you mentioned, Trey Webb. Like they have a ton. And Boise, when you look at the overseas FB stats, yeah, you got Kahino with uh, no picks but five of each, broken up and um, PBUs or defended PBUs. It goes all the way down to the bottom where, yeah, you get two each from like Skinner and Tyler and other guys like Markel Reed. 
it's it's close, but I think my vote was to go toward uh, San Jose State. Mm-hmm. But it's again every position group we go through, like safety went to Boise, which I can agree there. Um, linebacker Boise, I think linebacker might be the biggest disparity, but even that's pretty close because Boise has like Wimpy and Ezekiel Noah. But then you mentioned mm-hmm. Kyle Harmon, the tackling machine, and so I still get Boise the edge, but it's still if that's the biggest gap, it's still pretty close. And that's why going back to the odds this game being six and a half seem about two to four points too high for me. Mm-hmm. So what else is um let's do this. Let's play let's wrap it up here. Let's give it kind of a quick game. Who are some under the radar players that can make the big difference, you think? I got a couple written here. Of course, most of mine are offense, shocker, just because they are. Like who's a couple uh, like guys under the radar guys that could make the difference in this game that we're not that we haven't mentioned or lightly mentioned. So you, the first guy I mentioned when I wrote an article about San Jose State's 10 and most important players. Oh, that's right. We got that too. Go so, check those articles I'm, out, folks. <laughs> I'm, wonder, I'm, I'm wondering if I should put him higher because one thing we haven't talked about is what kind of role is Avery Williams going to have on special teams? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I looked at was Chris Wood, who is San Jose State's kickoff specialist. And... You know he's had some uh, some adventures, if you will, <laughs> this year. And you you look at touchback percentage. So if one of the goals in this game is going to be keeping the ball out of Williams's hands, one thing that is worth keeping in mind is that Chris Wood only has a touchback percentage of basically six and a half percent. Interesting. Which is not great. You know, no. the, there's only one like he's kicked off at least thirty times. There've been eighty-seven FBS kickers who have done so. And only one of them has a worse touchback percentage than Wood. So, you know, if if he kicks off and he only gets it to the 10-yard line, you know, from what we've seen, you know, every other week it seems like, is that if if the ball gets into Williams' hands, anything can happen. And you want to try to eliminate those kinds of swings as much as possible. And then alternatively, even if they do decide to keep it out of his hands— you know, he's kicked the ball out of bounds four times as well, which isn't necessarily ideal because you don't necessarily want to give away the field position game any way you can. Yeah. So if the Broncos are starting at their own 35 just because you're trying to keep it away from Williams, that's not really much better. So that's one guy I have my eye on. And, I mean, another one I think that I mentioned a few minutes ago is Bagnot just because you know, he made his first start. And I think if he, can, if he shows anywhere near what he showed against Wyoming a week ago, you know, he could be that kind of difference maker where we don't know about him. Um, but by the end of the game, everybody's going to know who he is. They better, right? Yeah. And, you know, when he came in, he replaced um, Sam Whitney. Sam Whitney went and replaced Dimitri Washington. So he's just he's kind of been the next man up in that regard. But he's playing that really important stud position for the Broncos. And so, you know, regardless of where he ends up, you know, that's another you know one-on-one matchup, whether he's matched up with like Jackson Snyder who's been San Jose State's best offensive lineman by far. You know, he was a first-team all-conference performer. Or if they choose to let him go to the right side, you know, Jamie Navarro has been no slouch. But both of those guys are going to have their hands full with Bagnall and Irwin. Here's my possibly – he's not under the radar but could be important. I'll go with and say Andrew Van Buren. Is that too high-profile to say under-the-radar guy? I'll allow it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Because, again, if Boyce is going to win – I mentioned George Solani, which is pretty clear. But realistically, it's a running game that's going to be well because Boise is one-dimensional with uh, 
it kind of could snowball to not being good for them, potentially, <clears throat> if a running game is not good, because you already mentioned Shakir gets basically 98.5% of the passes thrown his way. Like, everything goes towards his direction. And so let's say running game st- struggles. We mentioned John Bates. He'll be one of my other guys to look out for, under, under the radar guys that can make a big impact. But he hasn't caught a pass in seeming forever. If the running game is slowed down and the and the percentage of share rates and passes uh, plays called go toward Shakir, that kind of makes Boise sort of one-dimensional to a degree. Not to say other guys like C.T. Thomas, they can't throw in a him at quarterback or a, uh, a double pass where they've done a couple times to mix it up. But if the running game isn't going and they're focusing on Shakir, from Bachmeyer to Shakir, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And San Jose State has a good enough defense to, whether it be stop either running back or the defensive backs are really good. But Van Buren, but mostly it's like if he has a game, like if he can go for about, let's just say he's a starter. That's also a ding right there for me on the start because he's starting. But if Van Buren can get to about, get over four yards of carry, get about 80-something yards, say he goes 20 for 85, 20 for 90, that's probably good enough to win. I don't know if he can do it if he's their lead back. But if he's a complimentary guy and say George Lonnie's full strength and then he gets his carries maybe about 100 yards, and then Van Buren goes for like uh, – he could still be a, a guy to make an impact guy if he's the backup because if he goes like like 8 for 40, like 8 for 55, and they combine for a good amount, that's also good as well. But I think he's a very important player because Solani hasn't played a lot. Odds of him coming in and getting a full 18 to 25 or even 16 to 25 carry seems unlikely just because if it's an ankle injury – those are hard to come back for. How much can you work out when your foot's busted? You can't do a ton. You're you obviously it's hard to work out to keep your strength going or cardio. So he's like probably the biggest guy out there. And I'll go into another one. Is John Bates? Like remember when they played Utah State? Didn't he get like three of the first or five catches on the first drive or something when they're playing or something U- like that? Utah yeah. State. Like he needs to be a focus on his offense because that will force the Spartan secondary and linebackers to kind of tweak what they're doing defensively just to a degree to have to maybe not necessarily more account for Bates, what he's done, but get him out there. He has no touchdowns on the air, and Bates only has 12 catches. And so I think he could be a guy where if they can get him going, like even like he didn't play last week. Do you recall if that's an injury issue or anything? I believe it was, I mean, they haven't said for sure. Who but knows? He and Sears were in the same boat. I'm pretty sure it was COVID related. Okay. If it so wasn't like in, if it wasn't being quarantined, it might have been like contact protocols or something okay. like that. So he didn't play last week. He had zero receptions the two weeks prior. If he's out there and can play, and if he goes, like, let's just say he does watch Air Force, five for 40, that's probably all they, they need. Like, they, I think he could be, if he plays, he's a another Boise player who could um, mix things up and cause a few issues for Spartans. So I'll give you one more on the Spartan side since he gave us one more for the Broncos. Okay, I got a couple Spartans guys too, but go ahead. I mentioned him in passing, but I think Kenyon Reed could have a very big impact on this game. Not only because he's he's in the starting lineup now, opposite of Shelton, he took over for um, for Trey Webb, I believe, or Trey White, excuse me, um, kind of in the in, in the starting role in that cornerback rotation. So, like I mentioned earlier, he's going to have a hand in defending Shakir, defending C.T. Thomas. And in you know overall pass defense, but the other thing is he's also the primary punt returner now too. And there were a couple of instances last week against Nevada where he was pretty close to breaking off a big game. And so obviously Avery Williams is the one that has the biggest spotlight in that regard. 
but both Reed and Shamar Garrett, you know, San Jose State's kickoff returner, you know, we saw Garrett take a 99-yard kick last week against the Wolfpack, too. Correct. Reed is in that same boat as well. And so, you know, it's really hard to predict, yes, that'll happen or no, that won't happen. But all three of those guys, Williams, Reed, and Garrett, have the capacity to, to turn this game on its head on a dime if, they, if things break exactly right for them. That's true. Uh, it's it's going to be close on that. That's all we're getting down to. It's going to be close. Yes. Game. Here's a couple guys on the boys. Or excuse me. Um, I mentioned my guy. I mentioned also a quick blurb. C.T. Thomas could be underrated or guy because of the amount of catches he has this year. And if he does like his t- patented, uh, let's give him a pass to touchdown to somebody, that could be a thing to look out for as well. Um, but on Boise, San Jose State side, I go receivers as well. You mentioned Isaiah Hamilton. He hasn't done a ton this year because it's mostly Walker and Gaither. It's not to the extreme of what CSU is doing by trying to th- force it to right and um, mm-hmm. oh shoot, um, who's the other guy? Trey McBride. Yeah, McBride. Sorry, I think of McCullough. Like, that's not McCullough, but McBride. But if they can get him involved, or even also uh, Derek D. Uh, Jr. tight end, like mm-hmm. if they can get an extra guy involved in the passing game. They're probably going to have to because, again, both these teams are going to need an extra receiver because how good the secondary is. And when you look at what they're doing, like, yes, you you want to get to your studs. Like, you want to get it to Shakir. You want to get it to Gaze. You want to get it to Walker, all these type of guys. But it might come down to, like, what these – he does have four touchdowns at a tight end. He has 12 catches, four TDs, which is really good. But, like, if you have a guy who can make a play like that, like he had one catch, five yards of TD last week, which was much needed, and they're winning over Nevada. Like, if he can go, like, I'm not saying San Diego State type game, 5 for 76 and score, but if he goes, like, 4 for 40 or 4 for 28 or something, like, those small gains could be huge if you're just making either secondary have to focus on somebody else a little bit more than normal. That means you maybe not be able to blitz as much if the tight end's going across the middle to get that open space in between. Those type of small things... Where okay, we're not going to blitz six. We're gonna we're gonna rush just five. We're go out there three or four down linemen. Like those little things will make a big difference, and we'll see that adjustment. You'd think so at halftime. Yeah. But this game, like, what do we got here? Let's do predictions. I'm ready to go. I'm hyped for this uh, afternoon kickoff. On did we mention it's on regular Fox, Matt? I don't recall if we did. Well, we did now. You're informed. <laughs> so what is FEI SP Plus? What are all those guys saying about this game? All right, so F- SP Plus favors the Broncos, 6.3. It's a 64% win probability. Uh, FEI also favors Boise State. It's a little closer, though, by 4.3. All right, so FPI, ESPN's thing, 68% to 32%. Then you have, uh, like, the pick center. I'll go through those team rankings. Thirty-one. They have a, a nine-point victory projection for Boise State. Then you have over at number fire. Um, oh, no, sorry, I'm looking at this incorrectly. They don't put this the right proper way. Six points for a team ranking, 31 to 25 and a half. 22.6 to 20.5 for number five. So basically like a, what's that, two points there, 2.1? Mm-hmm. We gave our predictions for Raj. I need, do I need to pull up my DM to see what I picked? I think I know I picked the close one. You did. Uh, do you have my score in front of me? Because I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah. I apologize. I oh, I, okay. I'll just give a score. Over under really quick. 56. Is that a touch high? A little bit. I think it's a little high. I'm not. I wouldn't be uh, comfortable taking it. Like I wouldn't say take the either way. I would lean toward an under being the case. Yes. So what's your score pick? Well, I scroll through and find mine from. I'd send in like on Tuesday. <laughs> so I'm going to take the Spartans. Oh boy. I think it's going to be a back back battle. 
back and forth. Okay, I agree. But I like I can't shake the feeling that Boise State's really been playing with fire over the last month. And the Spartans are pretty clearly the best team they've played since BYU. And so for you know whatever issues that other teams like Wyoming, like Hawaii, haven't been able to take advantage of, I think San Jose State will, will turn enough things around that the Broncos won't be able to play the same kind of game that they want to. And just with the questions around Halani, with the questions around the defensive line, I think it's going to be close. But I think the Spartans are going to win. I've got 24 to 23. Ooh, that's very close. Okay, quick question. Like, I've seen BYU a lot because I need to for my, my job here. You've seen them play a little bit. Um, what... Like how? What do you think? Are they are they really comparable? Like when you look at San Jose State, a little bit wise. Is that right? I mean, they aren't they aren't totally comparable, but I would say that the Spartans are easily the second best team that yeah. that Boise State's played this year, and it's probably not close. Yeah, no, I agree. Like passing game, similar. I deserve a little bit more. Oh, great, my Google's going off. I love this in the corner. <laughs> Let's unplug you, Google. I'm not editing this out. My little Google Mini speaker is like, you asked to play a song. I'm like, no, I did not ask to play Spotify. You're ruining the podcast, Google. But it is the second-best team. I would say when you look at the two teams, um, both defenses, BYU and San Jose State, are fairly close to what they like to do. Good defensive line. Like they have BYU's Kyrie Stonga, Kate Hall, San Jose State. Secondary is not nearly as good. Um, running game, probably a touch toward BYU, I'd say. Quarterback play, a little bit more toward Wilson. But I think what they do – they're kind of comparable a little bit, and like in the style of playing what they want to do on each side of the ball. But I found my pick here, so I'm stalling that. San Jose State, 28. Boise State, 20. So you're taking the under, too. Under and the underdog. All right, then. Also, it should be noted, I'm pulling up, I think San Jose State, I put it in the article I did in like the kind of the early line. I believe San Jose State's like 10-0 covering the spread their past 10 games. Something that would not surprise me. I was seeing something where Boise State, I think, has failed to cover in, in three of the last four or four of the last five or something like that. I, so there's something else to keep in mind, too. Yeah, I think they're two, two, and one. I have it up here. Let me try to pull it up again. But it's Spartans have done this goes back to last year. Um, but they've, oh, yeah, right here. So last five undefeated against the last five games. Never mind. I'll look it up later. Go read my preview article I did really quick on the lines. But like San Jose State, if you're a betting aspect, They've been um, doing very well in covering the spread going back to last year. Every game this year they've covered, partly because they've won every game as well. And the games mm-hmm. they've been favored, they have done so as well. All right, do we have any any final thoughts to the game? Any weird thing that you're looking, that hoping that could happen at an empty stadium that's being, air quotes, hosted by San Jose State? I think I've touched upon everything I wanted to. I think we're, we're ready for Saturday at this point. I will make one proclamation here. There will be at least one weird special teams play. And I'll, weird. I'll leave it vague by being, not weird, but like a, uh, a bi- okay, a big special teams play. Whether it's a big return, and I'll include a missed kick in there as well, a missed field goal. Does that count as a big miss? Because points will be precious in this game. So I think there'll be some sort of, um, not weird, maybe not the right word, but like a, a big special teams, good play or bad play that could turn the tide. Mm-hmm. I think I'm rolling off a couple years ago when I said Aztecs will have a big special teams play in one game that worked out for me. So I'm going to ride that train mm-hmm. again. Um, check out everything we've written, mwr.com. We have uh, 10 players to watch, San Jose State. We'll have somewhere for Boise. We have a couple of previews out. Obviously, the podcast here. We'll have a few more things going on. Also, Army Air Force is going on as well. It kind of stinks it's overlapping, but um, we have to make a choice. Also, there might be a live blog situation on the website I'm possibly doing, so keep an eye out for that. 
no promises, but that's a goal I'm trying to work on this weekend because with one, probably just a title, ga- title game only, so sorry, CIC Trophy Online, you may get the back seat, but uh, that's my plan, I think, this weekend. So we made it out of the season. It's basically here and basically done, right? Yeah, we're just about near the finish line. About time, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's been a stressful year, a wild year, but uh, go Spartans, go Broncos. We'll see you guys Sunday recapping the game.